Welcome to Broken Potholes with your host Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. Uh, we are going to start out today without a guest on the line, but talking about a pretty important Supreme Court decision that just came down regarding Arizona. Also has some implications for Georgia, really for the entire country and for what Democrats are trying to do with our elections. Uh, Chuck, I know you've been following this very, very closely. These were these were really, really interesting cases for the Supreme Court. I really didn't. I wasn't sure they were going to take these cases up, uh, but they came back and they upheld Arizona's, frankly, really minimal restrictions on elections, so-called ban on ballot harvesting, which, for people who aren't familiar, is a process of of political groups going around collecting ballots from people at their homes and then turning them in. It is a very insecure process. Uh, No one should ever let their ballot out of their own hand. The other one actually isn't relevant to Arizona since the case was filed, but it is really relevant to the whole country. That is in precinct voting. If you voted out of your precinct in Arizona in the past, your vote was thrown out. We now use a vote center model where they print the ballot at the polling location, whatever polling location you show up at. So that actually doesn't have an impact here in Arizona, but it may all across the country. Uh, Chuck, what are you seeing with these cases? Well, I think what we have seen, first of all, kudos to Michelle Ugenti Rita, who pushed the ballot harvesting, and kudos to our attorney general, who successfully defended it to the highest court of the land. They both deserve tremendous credit for doing this. I think these can be summed up on two tweets I saw last night. The one was from, first one was from Rich Lowry at the National Review. And he said, first they ask you to show an ID when you vote. Then they won't let you vote in the wrong precincts. This is how democracy dies. (laughs) Now, obviously it's sarcasm, (laughs) but the responses from the more liberal elements of our society were just, they're crazy. I mean, they act like this is really suppressing people. And then the next one, which is very accurate from Ben Shapiro, he said, if we have reached the point in America where banning ballot harvesting and voting out of precinct are considered racist threats to the republic, we have run out of actual racist threats to the republic. (laughs) That is so spot on. It is, because there is nothing about this that suppresses vote. No. You know, and ballot harvesting and, and, the, and the Arizona law, like the Florida law, allow a caretaker or a family member to pick up your ballot for you if you really can't go do it. Or for some reason, you can't figure out how to put it in your mailbox, because since what is it, 85 percent of Arizona votes by mail. I mean, so yep. the criticisms are really unjustified and it's just like a barking dog in a crowd. I, I'm wondering if we're going to get to the point, and I think polling is showing it a little bit, that people just aren't buying this continual outrage that is very fake by the left. There's nothing wrong with these bills. No, it's it's totally fake. And, and what bothers me most, you know, like you go back to Georgia, is these big multinational companies, whether Coke or Delta or any of these jumping on board mirroring that narrative oh this is racism this is voter suppression this is all this stuff i mean when you're talking about in arizona the the cases in front of the supreme court didn't even touch on this but i mean for goodness sake everybody has id 
everybody knows you need it for every bloody thing these days. It's really hard to, to tell Americans that asking for ID is racist. And thank goodness I, they are waking up on this. Asking for ID is racist. And yet at the same time you're asked for ID, everything you do. I buy lottery tickets once in a while. I'm 45. I get ID'd for a darn lottery ticket. I, well, if I... If I was a Republican legislature in Arizona or any other state that's considering government or photo ID and you have this pushback, which is lessening a little bit because Democrats can read polls. That's what they base policy on. I would go and turn around and submit legislation that is no longer required to have ID to drive, open a bank account, get a mortgage, write a check, etc., and we'll see how fast the great arbiters of moral fortitude like Coca-Cola and Delta quickly turn tail on photo ID. Yes. I mean, let's just if we're going to do it, let's just not require it for anything. And then I want to see what these supposed corporate titans, these these moral moral priests we have now allotted to corporate America is doing. My, my, I heard a great where a great quote the other day is. It was a quote. It was an article. Um, and the gentleman who was liberal saying the reality is the reason they're pushing this is they don't want to, have to explain why they pay people crappy salaries, why they produce their products in third world countries that underpay people. And he just, you know, he just thought it was a complete, you know, shuffle to avoid from the real issues. And frankly, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's fake wake. I mean, that's what it is, yeah, right? Yeah, I, it, this yeah, is what they're yeah. doing. You're absolutely right. I, I saw that piece also and, and agree 100%. These companies are, are trying to get out from having to act, be actually responsible corporate citizens. I mean, right. if you want to talk about, you know, look, I am a Diet Cokeaholic. I'll put that out there right now, folks. If you're asking me to boycott or ban it, we're going to have a problem because that headache is going to stay with me for a week or two. But, look, the products that these companies are selling, you know, do you need Coca-Cola? Is, is there anyone on this world that actually needs anything Coke produces? No. No. And they do a lot of no. harm between the sugar and all the chemicals and everything else that's in it. This is not a company that is making the world a better place one Coke at a time. And, Absolutely not. And you're right. They do cover up for that deficiency and for a lot of the other things. We've seen, you know, look, you and I are big capitalists, right? But the right. executive pay, that's a legit issue. They're Absolutely. They are, to my mind, defrauding voters. I mean, not voters. They are defrauding their stockholders by taking that massive amount of money. Uh, they are hurting their customers, their employees, everyone down the line. And they excuse themselves with this fake wokeness. It, yeah, it's, it's it's gotten out of hand. But the you know the rulings by the Supreme Court, you and I would have bet our houses that this was going to be the ruling. Oh, yeah. um, you know what's funny about the Supreme Court is that it's always an ideological divide when the conservative side votes in unison. The only people who are open minded on the court. Are frankly conservatives because right. they go over and join progressives on certain things look at the recent um, obamacare ruling yep look at not accepting some abortion you know abortion legislations come so frankly the only open-minded people on the court are the conservative side 
Yes. I, I, have you, do, do we ever really see one of the three liberals break ranks? Any of them? No, they join the conservative side hardly. They don't break ranks, and and actually, you can you know before any case is heard in front of the Supreme Court where those three liberal justices are going to come down. It, and they're going to yeah. come down on the side of whatever the national politics of the Democratic Party is, period. They have no interest in the law. They have no interest in precedent. And as jurists, they are far inferior to every one of the six members of the conservative side of that court. And here's a kind of a tip, folks. If you're out there, Chuck, tell me if you disagree with this. If the conservatives see an issue out there that they think is truly a divisive issue – and they don't think that there's going to be honest debate on it, they don't take that case. I mean, this is what John Roberts has been doing, essentially, is avoiding some of the most controversial cases. When they take up a case like this, you pretty much know the outcome ahead of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, before um, today, dear, dear listeners, we're going to have Congressman John Curtis, Republican from Utah, on with us and talking about some environmental issues, the state of mm -hmm. Congress and so forth. But Sam, before that comes, let's talk quickly about a poll that came out um, today. Jeremy Duda, I think that's the way you pronounce his last name, but the Arizona Mirror wrote about it. And it was interesting. Only 37% of Arizona respondents said Biden deserved to be reelected based on his job performance. And, you know, compared to 53% said he deserved another term. Um, what's amazing about that is that number's there, but when you put him up against former President Trump, he beats President Trump 51-44, but here's the key to this. In a, you know, in a re-election, independent voters break 54 to 41 to Biden. And this is something the conservative side and Republican Party in Arizona have to start focusing on is how do they get these independents back into the fold? Um, and it's something that's really going to make a difference on how Arizona's governed in the future. Yeah, Chuck, I, I'm going to say something on that front that I, I think, you know, may get me in trouble with some of the Republican Party here. But I, I think the numbers are clear. The mood of the nation is clear. If Donald Trump is the nominee, we're going to get four more years of Joe Biden and or Kamala Harris or whoever it is. I mean, that's just all there is to it. He has not gained support since losing the last election. I don't care if you think it was stolen or anything else. The fact of the matter is that other than the Republican base, the rest of this country is ready to move on. And I strongly believe that you can adopt and, and promote basically the same policy agenda as Ron DeSantis well, does, right? And that's a exactly. winning message from a different person. Exactly. The reality is Arizona is not a blue state. We have talked about this. It's not even a purple state. It is a conservative state that's right of center that is purely candidate base. You have 51% yep. support approval for Kristen Cinema right now, which is interesting. In the same poll, only 36% of the respondents said they disapproved of the filibuster. Now, if you listen to the progressives in Arizona and you listen to the Arizona Republic and people like Lori Roberts, Oh, my gosh, everybody supports getting rid of the filibuster, whereas 46 percent support it. So 10 percent more people in Arizona support the filibuster than not. But then they asked an interesting follow up question. They asked if you knew that a 60 vote threshold needed to overcome the filibuster is a hindrance 
to the Biden and Senate Democrats, support for the filibuster goes to 50 percent. <laughs> it increases. Right. When you tell them that it takes 60 votes and it will to, to, in order to be a hindrance to Biden and Senate Democrats, it goes to 50 percent. It's beating those who oppose it by 11 points. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, look, I think this country is ready for a return to some sort of political normalcy and to the process of negotiation. We're going to be able to talk about that and some other things coming up here in just a moment with John Curtis, congressman from Utah, and fantastic to have him on the show today. Uh, this is going to be a really interesting year. Republicans better be ready. Broken Potholes coming back in just a moment. elections are over. Phew! Thank goodness for that. But don't sleep on your plans for 2022. Start today by securing your name and getting a .vote web address with your first and last name. Visit GoDaddy today. Welcome back to Broken Potholes with your host Sam Stone and Chuck Warren. On the line with us now, John Curtis, congressman from Utah's 3rd Congressional District. He is a Republican who, much like your co-host, your host here right now, is a former Democrat. Uh, served as mayor of Provo, Utah uh, from 2010 to 2017. And in 2017, he won the special election to replace another friend of the podcast, Jason Chaffetz. Uh, in Congress, who uh, is certainly one of my favorites, and uh, Congressman Curtis rapidly climbing that list. Congressman, welcome to the program. So good to be with both of you, Sam and Chuck. Thank you. Thank you for being Understand, on. As we are, as we are reading your bio, the women in our office kept asking me, what is it that he has the largest sock collection? Can you explain how you got into the <laughs> sock collection business? <laughs> Oh, my goodness, we could spend a whole time on, on this, but I'll be quick. Uh, years ago, before socks were cool, I was experimenting with colored socks and fun socks, and I had so much fun with it, I started wearing them everywhere I went and giving them away. And before long, I was branded as the sock guy. <laughs> and I thought I would lose that reputation when I went to D.C., but it followed me. And now if you look on C-SPAN and watch us on the house floor, you'll see uh, about every two or three minutes, somebody will ask to see my socks. So I can't disappoint him. I've always got to have a good pair of socks on. That's a very high bar to have to live up to every single day. I mean, you know, there have been some some good socks in Congress. Yes, I I now uh, give them as gifts to Congress people on their birthdays. And they love that. And I've started quite a trend in D.C. with uh, much better socks. You are a trendsetter. Yes, some people will be known for their legislation and... Some people will be known for the legislation, and I'll be known for my socks. We can, in America, we can all agree on stock, except for the grumpy 8% out there who are just grumpy about everything all the time. So That's um, right. Exactly. exactly. Congressman, talk to us about this new Green Caucus in the House of Representatives, where there's 50-plus Republicans who have joined you that said, look, global warming's real. We need to approach it. But there are free market solutions to do this. So I spend some time and tell us about it, how the reception's been, how have the Democrats responded to this, how have your constituents responded to it? 
So I, um, I'll be just tell you, I've watched this debate, and I just feel like it's a it's a mistake for uh, conservatives and Republicans to allow ourselves as being branded as not caring about the earth. We care deeply. Uh, we don't necessarily identify as environmentalists or, or you know, uh, fans of the Green New Deal. But that doesn't mean we don't care deeply, and it doesn't mean we deny the science of it. Uh, but unfortunately, we've allowed that brand to persist, and it's because we've not really engaged in the debate. When the, when the subject comes up, we, we kind of run from it. Um, I'm on a mission to change that. I think uh, conservatives should go on the offensive. We have uh, amazing uh, ideas that do far more to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions uh, than our colleagues do. And so we formed a, a caucus out in D.C. It's called the Conservative Climate Caucus. It's, it, it's exactly what it says in the name. Uh, we're, we want to talk about climate. We're not running from it, but we're conservatives. And when you stop and list the, the number of conservative alternatives that are actually better than some of the alternatives put forth, it, you, you'll, you'll cheer us on. And so it's been very successful. You mentioned 50, 50 or so. That number changes daily. It's now up to 65. That's a third of all Republicans in Congress in the House of uh, Representatives can join uh, this caucus. They, too, want to go on the offensive. So it's, it's very exciting. Our Democrats' response is you're not, not going to be surprised. Some of them have been very welcoming and, and want to see us at the table. Others have been uh, somewhat critical and skeptical. And I, I kind of feel it's a little bit of a litmus test for Democrats to see if they really do care uh, about uh, solutions or if it's more political to them. That's a great point, Congressman. And, you know, I always say, I always call myself, and I know Chuck and I have basically the same view on this, I call myself a conservationist, not an environmentalist. Yeah. And I think one of the things yeah. that a lot of people don't really think about is that with all the talk about Democrat power concentrating in the big inner cities, the bulk of their representation in Congress comes from those major urban environments Whereas if you want to talk about the natural environments of the United States, whether it's in Utah, here in Arizona, most of the country, our natural environment is represented by Republicans. And, yes. and we care yeah. about that environment. Well, there's no better environmentalists than farmers. And, uh, <laughs> they don't like to be called environmentalists. But I tell you, you talk about people that care about the earth and, and are dependent on um, leaving the earth better than we found it. Uh, you're absolutely right. It's a, a huge, I mean, huge. It's it's really critical. I grew up on a farm. I grew up in the middle of nowhere. We It is absolutely, whether you're talking about weather, whether you're talking about pollution. Uh, when I was growing up, acid rain was a big issue. Factory scrubbers yeah, yeah. addressed that, right? The market addressed it. And yeah. so I'd love to hear more about some of these market-based solutions because I think people don't realize the U.S. has really made huge strides in greenhouse gas emissions, in all sorts of other things, where other countries well, haven't. You know, you, yeah, so um, one, of the, one of the parts of the dialogue that's unfortunate is what I call the culture of shaming, which is no matter how much you do, it's just not enough. And I, I regret that because that, that forces uh, people away uh, instead of bringing them into the conversation. But let me give you a really good example of that culture of shaming. We hear all the time the U.S. should be a leader. And why aren't we a leader? Well, let's look at the facts. The U.S. has reduced more carbon in the last decade than the next 10 carbon-emitting countries combined. Uh, that's a stunning number that we never talked about. 
but we are leading. We're leading the world uh, right now in carbon reduction. And how have we done that? We've done it with uh, shocker, a fossil fuel. Uh, natural gas has actually been responsible for reducing vast amounts of carbon. And so if we're going to solve uh, the worldwide uh, carbon problem, we've got to be using fossil fuels, not eliminating fossil fuels. And there's no better one than, than uh, natural gas. Uh-huh. If, if we just simply uh, implemented and got U.S. natural gas into Russia and China and India on a large scale, we would do more to reduce worldwide greenhouse gas emissions than the entire Green New Deal combined. Absolutely. You know, one thing I've thrown out there before, Congressman, I mean, there are still a lot of uh, coal-burning factories around the world that don't use the coal-scrubbing smokestack technology that was developed here. Really easy to put those in all those factories. Rivers. Yeah, and this this is the great lie about the Paris Climate Accord, you know, that that everybody held as being so important. The Paris Climate Accord allows China to increase their carbon emissions for the next 20 years. Um, well, <laughs> what, what good does it do if we go to zero carbon here in the United States where 14% of the world uh, greenhouse gas emissions? What good does it do if we go to zero and we allow China to to increase uh, for the next 20 years? And uh, you've got India and, and Russia in, in that same equation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another one we get brought up, and we only have a, a quick time, a few moments here, but I, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about this, is ocean pollution. I think some of our focus has been a little too monomaniacal on carbon in the atmosphere as opposed to yeah. all the other forms of pollution that are equally affecting or more affecting the planet. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I look forward to coming back with you. Perfect. Well, broken potholes fantastic interview so far with Congressman John Curtis of Utah's 3rd District. We will be right back. Now more than ever before, we are relying on the internet to keep up with the news, stay in touch with friends, shop, and everything in between. That's why it's so important that you reserve your first and last name .vote web address for your upcoming campaign. Secure your digital real estate by owning your name with a .vote. Your name, your campaign, your very own .vote domain. Head to GoDaddy today. Welcome back to Broken Potholes. I'm your host, Sam Stone. On the line with me, my co-host, Chuck Warren, and John Curtis, congressman from Utah's 3rd Congressional District. When we went to break, we were talking about pollution other than just carbon. Congressman, can you talk a little bit about some of the effects of other things that we may be not paying enough attention to? Maybe in what we need to do. Yeah, I have kind of a funny story. When I was the mayor of Provo, all we talked about was clean air. And uh, when I went back to Washington, D.C., nobody talked about clean air. They just talked about carbon. <laughs> and they don't realize that, sure, we've got some long-term impacts with carbon, but we have, we have here and now impacts with clean air. And you, you, you mentioned, you know, ocean waste and, and uh, the, you know, the amount of plastic and things in the ocean and, and the way we're inadvertently, you know, polluting this earth. And this is where I think conservatives have done a fantastic job and need to do a better job. Uh, you know, we may not be overexcited about it, but, you know, Richard Nixon was the one who started EPA. 
and sure, Republicans have a lot of questions about it, but, but we forget that we have been uh, in a leadership position on clean water as Republicans, and it's always been very important to us. Yeah, absolutely. Chuck, you had a, a question I thought was really, really good during the break, so let's go to that. Let's, yeah, it's, it's two-part, um, Congressman. First, um, what does the polling show about Gen Z millennials regarding climate change and how important is this issue not only for us to talk about, but to actually tackle for the growth and the future of the conservative movement, the Republican Party? And then two, how do you think we should approach those on the conservative spectrum who just don't believe a global warming or don't know what they really can do about it? Those are great questions. Let me, let me address this first one, um, this Gen Z. Um, I, I represent, the, I have the honor of representing the youngest district in the country. Uh, people are always surprised when they hear that. The average age of my constituents is 27. And I'll tell you what, I see it in their eyes. They will not be patient with us um, if, if we don't make progress uh, on climate. They, they, it's, for many of them, it's a single issue. We'll lose them on just this single issue. And we can't afford to lose the next generation of Republicans. We've got to engage them. So it, it's incumbent on us, to, for the help of our party, to figure this out. And uh, you're absolutely right. This is a very important issue to them. And, and then, then – oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Sam. Uh, no, Congressman, then how do we approach people um, who are on the conservative side who are skeptical of climate warming or what can, you know, they ask themselves, what can we really do? You know, when you have, for example, yes. and this is a comment I hear a lot. Okay, we do everything, but then what does India and China do? Fair question. Yeah. How, how do we answer so, those folks? Yeah, I've got a couple of really good answers for that because I think about this a lot. First of all, I, I don't care how you feel about climate science. I, I, I don't judge myself. I'm not a scientist. But we can all agree on one thing. Less pollution is better than more pollution. We have a responsibility to leave this earth better than we found it. And that is, is a very common ground for conservatives and Republicans. So let's toss that question aside and say, look, we don't need to care about the science on this, but we, we can agree that we've got a responsibility to leave this earth uh, better than we found. And then as far as like, the China and India question, this is a fantastic opportunity for the U.S. economy. The world is changing. The world buying habits are changing. They will buy green. So as a country, we have a choice. We, we can either stand back and let China and Europe develop that green technology, or we can develop it here in the United States and use U.S. innovation. And if that happens, I actually believe the next industrial revolution-type opportunity for our economy is to, to, to export green technology around the world. And uh, we don't want to miss that. We don't want to miss that wave. And so to, to my conservative friends, I'd say, first of all, Come join me on the level of less pollution is better than more. And two, we don't want to miss this economic opportunity. Right. I, I often tell people when they ask me and they're skeptical, I, I said, and I asked them the question, well, we both can agree putting bad stuff in the air is bad, right? Yeah. yeah. We both can agree putting bad stuff in the water is not good, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, then call yourself, you know, an environmentalist. You know, we need to protect these. And, and you know, and, 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 and Congressman, as you as being a, a, a you know, a, a, a religious man, I'm surprised we don't use more, especially to our side, that we have a stewardship. It is an important yeah. stewardship. 
I, boy, I'm sure glad you brought that up. I, I tell people on the left all the time, don't be surprised that um, science is not a motivator and crisis is not a motivator. But you know what motivates me? It, it's my it's my reverence for the earth and my belief in, uh, that I have a stewardship. That motivates me. Um, the science doesn't motivate me. Crisis doesn't motivate me. I, I don't want to look my maker in the eye and say, um, you know what, I, I disrespected this application yeah. that you left us. Congressman, thank you so much. I, a fantastic discussion. Are you going to stay with us for the next segment, or do we need to let you go? Um, I'm with you. Uh, hang on. Fantastic. Great. Great. Fantastic. Broken Potholes, back in just a moment. When you're running for office, your name is on the ballot. So why not have your website be your name? If your name is John Smith, you need a .vote web address that says www.johnsmith.vote. 2022 will come faster than you think. Visit GoDaddy today and kick off your new campaign with a new personalized web address. Welcome back to Broken Potholes. I'm Sam Stone. On the line with us, my co-host Chuck Warren and John Curtis, congressman from Utah. Congressman Curtis, one of the things we keep talking about is what do Republicans need to do right now? What is it in this moment that is most important for our party to be focusing on? Because I think we're kind of all over the place. That's a great question. I I believe, and I, I feel strongly about this, the only thing that will keep us from taking back the House in a year and a half is ourselves. It's right there. The Democrats are seeing it, of course. The only thing that can prevent us is, is if we uh, fight amongst ourselves. And if we're a divided House, we've got to unite as Republicans, and we've got to come together. And, and that may mean um, that it's, we, we've got to realize that the enemy without is greater than the enemy within. And I know right now it's popular among some of my colleagues to attack our own colleagues, Republican colleagues. And we've got to remember that just weakens us. And, and, and it's far more important to focus on taking the House back. Let's work uh, to work together. Let's find uh, the, the areas that we agree on. And if we do that, uh, I think nothing can keep us from taking back the House. I think to your point, Congressman, the one thing we've talked about on this show, and I, I challenge people to look around this country and tell me if I'm wrong about this, but if you were in a state this last year and a half with a Republican governor, regardless of whether you think that governor is a strong conservative or they're more moderate or too moderate, whatever that may be, your life was better over these last 18 months <laughs> than it was under any Democrat governor in, in any state. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so and we have a, a five vote separation in the House now between Republicans and Democrats. I don't care what that Republicans like. We need that Republican vote to stop uh, increased taxes. We need that vote to stop uh, HR1, a federal takeover of elections. We need that Republican vote to stop HR3, where uh, a war on prescription drugs. We need that vote to keep uh, from expanding the Supreme Court. We need that vote to to keep D.C. from becoming a state. Those, that's what's at stake. And we need Republican votes. And so we can have our differences with Republicans. But at the end of the day, um, making Kevin McCarthy uh, 
uh, Speaker of the House and not Nancy Pelosi is, is so important for those reasons I just listed. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Chuck, uh, you touched on something else, uh, which is the congressman's experience. And I, I think this is kind of an important one. You want to talk about that? Yeah, so um, Congressman Curtis, who's on the line with us, um, Republican from Utah, previously served two terms as mayor of the city of Provo. Um, mayor, uh, mayor, I'm, I'm going to call you mayor right now. As being, <laughs> as being a former mayor. As being a former mayor, now congressman, what being what did being a mayor teach you, and how does that carry over to your work as a congressman? You deal with all these local issues, and then you have to go to the federal government. What what is your takeaway from it, and what can Congress do to be of a better help to cities? Is it just get the heck out of the way and stop yeah. mandating so many things to us? What is it? Well, I'll tell you what. There's a group of us in in even mayors. I think almost a person, you can find more serious uh, legislators who came to Washington to get things done. Um, as mayor, you know, you could walk in the office and people didn't care uh, your political party when there was a pothole in front of their home or when a trash can didn't get picked up. And, and you learn very quickly about serving the people. It's about uh, getting things done. It's about effective government. It's about um, delivering uh, services uh, to, to residents. And uh, I'll tell you, there's a group of us there. We all just kind of smile at each other. There's kind of an unwritten code that we know how to get things done. It's a great point, Congressman. I, you know, I work with our local government here at the city of Phoenix. Uh, Chuck and I obviously have tons of experience working with these local issues. I think local government grounds you in a way for the rest yeah. of your political career that someone who doesn't have that experience and then jumps into Congress for them, it's ideology, but for for those of us who have worked in and around local government, it's results. I mean, throw well, out I, everything else. Yeah, and, and I tell you, it's so easy to get lost in Washington D.C. And I'll give you a really good example. Last week we were debating a bill, and the Democrats wanted to uh, make everybody uh, so they didn't have to pay their water bill for five years if they didn't want to, <laughs> because they felt like everybody <laughs> should have water. And so he said, well, let me just share a mayor's perspective with you. Um, a lot of times we use water rates to get people to conserve water. Right now we're in a drought. You're taking away a tool from local government to, to get the residents to conserve water if you do this. And let me tell you something else. We bond off uh, the revenue from our utilities. So who's going to issue a bond to us if residents don't have to pay their water bill? So you're making it to states that the cities cannot invest in infrastructure. Uh, the exact opposite of what you want them to do. And so like, it, they don't see those unintended consequences, but if you've been on the ground, and, and, and it's really easy for you to see, well, let me, let me tell you what the unintended consequences of the all are. I think that's a great point. And, and I got to say, I'm, I'm hoping and looking to people like you for actual infrastructure. I know we've been you know, talking about this negotiated infrastructure yeah. bill. There is a desperate need for real investment in infrastructure, water infrastructure, power infrastructure, roads, rail, everything else. There is a desperate need for that all across this country, isn't there? Yes. I wish I could transport everybody here to Utah, uh, where our, our state and local government has been so responsible um, in, in looking ahead and making hard decisions. We have a balanced budget here in Utah, and we also have good roads and infrastructure because they make hard decisions. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
it's really, we could take a page out of a book, not just Utah, but other good conservative states. There's a lot to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Congressman, as we wrap up here, we are at the July 4th weekend, and Ronald Reagan had a quote that's my favorite quote, and I, I, for some reason it's more relevant today, sadly, than it was 10 years ago. And it said, he said simply, if we lose freedom here, there is no place to escape. This is the last stand on earth. Tell us why America's better days are ahead and tell us why she's worth fighting for. Wow, that's such a, it's such a great question. Uh, let me tell you, um, while I've been in Congress, I've had a chance to, to visit 30 different countries. And in my life, I've been to anywhere. Uh, on our worst day, there is no place like in the States of America, uh, even on our worst day. And I think people, it's so easy to complain or to decide about what we have here in the United States. All you can do is look around. I, I stood on the, the border of Venezuela, and I watched people who don't have freedom. Um, guess what? They have free education. They have free health care. But they don't have freedom. And even out, out across the border to come into Columbia to try to find food and medicine. And uh, I just, I, I hope people really understand appreciate what we have in America. This uh, bill came from a, a factory or my district uh, where they forged metal and steel and, and made products. And, and I saw Congressman, we're we're getting a great deal of interference on the line right now. It, it maybe you're driving through a, a rough area or something there. I'm not sure. Apologies okay. there. Yeah, if you could. I, yeah, I, that'd be great. Yep. Go ahead. All right. It's been great talking to you guys today. Congressman, thank you thank so you, much. Thank you, Congressman. Thank you. Appreciate you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Chuck, I, well, I, apologies to the Congressman. I, I, I appreciate him being pulled over on the side of the road. Obviously, folks, if you're out there, you know the issues with cell phone. You can have good reception one second. And, uh, you know, a couple other people get on that cell tower nearby and all of a sudden your reception drops. So uh, we really appreciate his time today. Absolutely. Um, let's talk. Let's have our sunshine moment real quick. Kip. Yeah, let's, let's get it. on it. The irrepressible Kylie Kipper. She has sunshine to bring us. I always have sunshine to bring you, you guys. You bring sunshine. the sunshine every time you walk in the room. My oh, thank you. you <laughs> well, this story was when it came out yesterday about a 107-year-old woman. However, today is her birthday, so I suggest, if you're listening, to help her out. Her name is Juliet Bernstein, and she is now 108 years old from Cape Cod, and she started a GoFundMe so that she can stay in her home. So she was a school teacher from New York making $7,000 a year, and she had saved $100,000 for her retirement. And she still gets a pension, but with how old she's getting, she didn't expect to live this old. Um, she's running out of money and needs a little bit of help. Uh, she loves America, especially with 4th of July coming up and her birthday so close to it. She was highly involved in um, the League for Women Voters of Lower Cape Cod. She also participated in the Cape Cod Chapter of Fellowship for Reconciliation, which is an international peace group created during the world during World War I. Um, she pushed her town of Chapman Town Band to include women. It was an all 
male band and she wanted women included. And she also helped the council um, with aging by setting up a nutrition program for the elderly. So she's highly involved and she has started to go fund me. She's raised about $14,000 and her goal is to raise 25,000. So, so wait, what's her name? How do people find this GoFundMe? Because folks, her name you, is Juliette Bernstein. Juliette Bernstein. Yes. Okay. And um, honestly, if you just Google her name, we'll also put it up on our social media accounts. Stories, multiple stories have come up through it. But this also inspired me to kind of, you know, that's a little bit older than I was anticipating. But just yesterday, another news story, re- news story was released that a Puerto Rico man um, just passed the Guinness World Record for the oldest man alive. And I'm going to emphasize man because he's 112 years old. However, the oldest person to be alive is Kane Tanka. Um, she passed away at 118 years old. So she holds the world record of the oldest person and female alive. It's amazing. Well, <laughs> yeah, and let's get that posted up on our social media pages. And folks, if you can, if you have 25, 50, or whatever you can do, let's help this dear woman and let's make it be remarkable and memorable fourth of july for her folks i'm gonna go on there right after this program i'm gonna send her some money you know if you have two dollars send it to her because i can't imagine taking this woman with all this involvement in her community at 108 years old out of her home that is that's wrong mm-hmm. i'm i'm getting a little emotional on this because i've been dealing with a lot of issues around aging with with my parents and and our family but folks, the home is so important to people as they age to be able to stay in it. If you can help your parents do that, in this case, if we can help this woman do that, you're going to be doing some real good in this world, some real good. And so get on there. Let's make this happen. Yeah, she did say that she, after saving $100,000, she thought she was rich. <laughs> so she does need a little bit of help, but... Um, she just wants to leave one thing to her family and they are trying to help her to the best, but they all have children and, um, you know, they just want her to be able to stay as long as she can, but she wants to leave one thing and that is her home. Now, if we're, if we're talking about this stuff and we only got two minutes left, Chuck, you and I are sort of poster opposites on this issue because I have not done uh, nearly enough to take care of myself. And Chuck is like, he is the man who takes care of every little detail, super fit. Gets every medical treatment in on time. I'm no less good at that. But you actually sent me a really interesting article the other day I want to wrap up talking about, which is there's a lot of these sort of tech bros and, and wealthy folks out there right now who really truly believe that if they can just hang on long enough, whether it's 10, 20, 40, 50 years, that immortal human immortality is within reach or nearly so. And they don't they may well not be wrong. No, they won't. Well, let's let's just think about this. I mean, you know, Kip here is, you know, decades younger than us. And the reality is Kip's going to have have a remarkable amount of friends that she went to high school with, um, the Awatuki gang. And they'll be living in their 90s and 100s and have quality lives. I mean, that's just that's just the way science is heading. And that's the way fitness is heading and nutrition is heading. And, you know, she's going to have that. And um, it will be interesting to see the quality of life and what people do with this gift. What do you do with these extra years? What are you going to do with this gift? Well, if and that you, will be fascinating what people do. If you do it half as much as this woman did, you're doing a lot. And actually, I think that's one of, the, one of the keys to longevity is don't disconnect. The minute people yep. disconnect, they die. 
So make sure you tune in next week. You can connect right here on Broken Potholes, KKNT, The Patriot, playing in Phoenix, Saturday at 3 p.m., podcast, Apple, Spotify. We got all the good stuff. Tune in. Have a good weekend and happy 4th of July. Running for office? You need a campaign website. Introducing the web address of the democratic process, .vote. So how do you purchase your .vote website? Visit www.yourname.vote. Type your website name, example www.johnsmith.vote. It's available. Add your web address to your cart and check out. Once checked out and have received confirmation, you may begin to create and utilize your website to connect and engage voters. To learn more, visit get.vote. Happy campaigning.